Welcome to Sports Business Secrets. I'm your host, Kevin Tarka. This podcast is specifically designed to share secrets from experts in the sports business world to help you along your own path to success in this industry. Each episode is packed with lessons and insights that never expire. You'll hear from general managers of professional teams to CEOs of sports tech companies to agents, coaches, players, and everything in between. I invite you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing players and coaches, traveling the world, and always finding a way to battle through obstacles in this competitive industry. Coach, welcome to Sports Business Secrets. Uh, happy to be here, Kevin. This is going to be fun. This is uh, this one's been a long time in the making. So typically, uh, I like to share the first time that I cross paths with the guests that I bring on. And for us, obviously, that was at Quinnipiac University, which uh, we'll dive into later. But crazy to think that was 15 years ago, uh, which is which is wild. So talk about years flying by. No doubt, no doubt. I know it's um, it's uh, it does. It feels like it goes by quick, right? But it's it's a big number, right? 15 years is. I mean, that's not a small number for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, yeah, so I'll give a quick little uh, background here. So for those who might not be familiar, uh, Coach Moore has nearly 30 years of college basketball coaching experience, starting with Division II Assumption and Division Three Worcester State, before he joined UConn for the first time, where he won his first two national championships. And then he spent uh, 10 years as the head coach at Quinnipiac, where he was blessed to coach an All-American athlete like myself, uh, and then he joined uh, Dan Hurley's staff at URI and then came full circle back to UConn, where he's coming off another national championship now. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really do justice to the background experience. And and, and I'm going to give him the floor here in a second. But just for those that might have been unfamiliar. Uh, yeah, I like to I like to give my guests just a you know a minute or so and share just kind of how you grew up and, and how you got involved with sports and maybe what you wanted to be when you were growing up. Yeah, um, only child small town in uh, south of central mass called milbury the only other claim to fame is ron darling mets pitcher um came from milbury and um just a great town to grow up in in the in the 70s you know like i'm i'm 58 now and it was like you know typical like pre-cell phone neighborhood go out and play every sport a lot of great volunteer coaches at the youth sports uh levels and um you know, just one of those kids that like, you know, you play everything every every season, you know, and, and then just found myself gravitating towards basketball more and more in fifth, sixth, seventh grade and um, went to St. John's High School in Shrewsbury, um, an all boys Catholic league and a Catholic school in Central Mass and um, not a great, not a great player, like a, a player who loved it, but not good enough to play in college, you know, Um I, I like to say, like a lot of people say, well, you know, I wasn't a division one player. Right. And that, that implies that you were therefore, okay. You would have been a good division two player. Like, no, I wouldn't have been a good <laughs> division two player. And then I take it one step further, Kevin. I'm like, I coached division three later and my guards at division three that I had, like the three kids I had, Rob Ashton, Al Petway and Scott Fenner, like my last team there. Like I was not a, anywhere near as good as those guys. So I wouldn't have been a good division three player. So, um, but I loved it. You know, it was all I did and you did it like year round and, and uh, you know, you get to at the end of high, now it's like high school, you got to pick a college and like, what do you want to do? Thought I wanted to be a journalist because I didn't have anything else that I interest me. And I figured like sports is it. I'll be a sports reporter. I go to Boston university to be a sports reporter. I go for three years and I, um, after the third year, I'm like, hey, geez, I'm going to graduate next year. And saying, geez, I don't know if I want to do this. And after I'd thrown myself into it for three years and I just started soul searching. And it's like, what do you think you want to do with the rest of your life? Billy Herrion was was probably the first inspiration for me. He was the, the assistant coach at BU then since he's been the head coach at Drexel, New Hampshire and East Carolina. But Billy was assistant at BU then. And Billy was an Oxford guy in Central Mass and just hanging out with them, doing stats for them, writing about their team and. I just like, boy, Billy seems like he's got a cool life. Like, I'm going to go talk to Billy and see if he thinks I could ever be a college coach. So it's sort of, I met with him. He was super encouraging. Mike Jarvis was the head coach at the time. He was super encouraging. And it just sort of, I ran with it from there. Wow. And and so that was your junior year or senior year? Uh, start of my senior year, basically, is where I, I, I had to stay with the journalism degree because I was like too too far right. in. 
you know, but like, I, that's when I sort of knew like, that's, this is what I wanted to do. And so, so when you started to, when you finally realized you wanted a coach and you started pursuing that dream, did you like, what, what was that transition? Like, like, you know, did you start applying for coaching jobs? I mean, who, you know, talk about that first opportunity and, and not to imply anything about your age here, but you know, it's not like now when kids are just tweeting out the resume and, you know, and you got yeah. social media, it's like, you know, how did you go from being that journalism major to being like, yeah, I want to coach college basketball. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. It was like coach Jarvis was great. He was really honest. He's like, no, you, you can do this. They were positive, but yet coach Jarvis said like, you're not going to get the same initial opportunities that a guy who played will get, you know, he's just honest with me. And it, it was true. You know, like, he's like, you're going to have to fight and scratch and claw your way into this. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, so they were like work camps that back then that was a big way to network. Again, like you said, there wasn't social media, people didn't have cell phones. So you had to like, it was more of a grassroots word of mouth thing. So they were like, you know, work camps. So I worked their camp. I worked Harvard, BC, North Carolina state, Louisville, Indiana, like, you know, just like I went all around to uh, Yukon, you know, like I worked up just a bunch of camps and try to meet as many people as possible. Then I'm just like, Hey, listen, I got no resume. I'm graduating from college. I didn't play in college. Um, but you know, like it, division three was realistically what I was, I was hoping I could get a division one GA spot, but without any, like, you know, the old, the late coach, uh, D row at UConn used to say like, I didn't have any rabbis. Right. You know, so I, I didn't have a rabbi to help me. So it was just like, I was going in blind. So I, I, I wrote, I remember sending letters to every division one school in the country to be a GA. And I got 100% rejection. Like, I think like, Wichita State or somebody might have given me then they were all form letters and Wichita State or somebody might have given me something where it was like we have some openings in the grad school if you want to apply but it was another form letter type of thing you know so I just like the only opportunity I had was a division three job at Worcester State and it was it was a part-time the head coaching position was part-time 3,500 bucks the assistant coaching spot was part-time obviously too as well 1750 bucks so for the year for the year yeah, yeah just, year. just just to That's clarify product. that audience yeah, yeah. 3500 bucks for the head coach 1750 for the assistant now it gets better this guy so the head coach paul baker great guy i have nothing so like i can't you know i can't quibble with you know i just need something to put on my resume for 1987 88 season you know and i gotta get as much experience as possible so he says i got another guy your age who has no experience he wants it too he's like since neither you're gonna be making any money like why don't you split it 875 bucks so like all right me and this other young guy eamon pogorny great guy from north carolina we, we split the 1750 and i had to get a school a teaching job long-term sub at a public school uh, junior high in Worcester. I would go there from eight to two, head over to Worcester state for practice and games and recruiting. And, you know, off I went, you know, and it was great. Paul gave me the first opportunity and just learned a ton because at that level, you know, um, and that's what I try to tell young guys since then for the last 35 years is like, you have to, you have to go do it. You know, it's like, you have to like, there's a point where you can talk about it, dream about it, watch videos about it or whatever you, you eventually got to go do it and, and learn by doing and sort of get your coaching voice, you know, and start to flex that muscle, make all your mistakes, you know, and just learn by doing. And I think it was a lot more of that back then, you know, than there is now. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's definitely different, but I think it's funny how it's kind of the same too. It's like, you know, you, you, you need to get that first opportunity and you know, the, the opportunities now at the entry level, whether it's GA or whatever, it's like, you're going to have to, work a job that's not going to pay you a lot of money. You're probably going to have to get a second job. And it's like, yeah. that's how, but, but that's how you filter out who who really wants it. Right. Like yeah. who's willing to yeah. sacrifice yeah. to get that. And, yeah. and, and, and I love how that's the same. I mean, it's different, but it's, it's, yeah. it's the same now. It is. Yep. yep. Uh, and so, and so that led, obviously you learned, you learned there. And then that led to, um, you know, your, your opportunity at, um, at Worcester and, and assumption and, yep. For, for the sake of time here, we won't dive into the full seasons, but maybe just for, for educating the audience a little bit on the differences between Division Two, II, Division Three, like maybe just like a brief overview of each stop and and yeah. then uh, and then we'll lead into the, you know, into the UConn opportunity. Yeah, well, I, I'd say the great thing 
And, and keep me in check too, Kevin, because you know I'm long-winded. So I, I <laughs> some kind of like go like this, a scratch, something, or you, you know, gotcha, gotcha. I'll try. I'll try to keep it on point here. But the, what the, we'll stay on the salary theme because I think if there's any young coaches who end up watching this, like this will really show you it's not about the money. Is my so my second year now I I got one year at Worcester State as an assistant. Now I'm trying again. I'd go the whole Division One GA thing. I get 350 form rejections. I, I now I start Division Twos in New England, and I end up getting uh assumption offers me a spot but the guy i go in and i talk to jack rankins as the head coach i go in and talk to jack and he says all i have is a volunteer spot so like if i'm going to move up from division three to division two this is what i have to do so now in my chosen field with a boston university degree i've made 875 dollars two years in my chosen field right so i've moved back in home you know i've moved back home and uh you know there's no new cars there's no new wardrobe there's no fancy watches or any kind of things like that for me i'm like what little i'm making from the school teaching job i'm trying to bank and save and but uh it did that at assumption the, the difference between division two and division three was pretty stark like uh, for for me just the whole scholarship thing was great to have that opportunity. Like Jack allowed me to recruit the New England prep schools that year. And it's amazing, Kevin, like some of the, some of the coaches in the New England prep schools that I was going to recruit are still there. And this was 1988, 89 when I did that, like uh, Jerry Quinn is still at St. Thomas, yep, Moore, yep. At his gym and uh, Whit LeJure is still at Bridgeton. Like I was in his gym and so there were guys like it, it just got me to meet a whole bunch of people. And I ended up signing two kids out of it. Uh, Leroy Sims from Boston and John Carroll, who, you know, as the Northfield Mount Hermon coach for a long time, I signed him out of Northfield Mount Hermon. They both went to Assumption uh, off that year. And it was awesome to be around a scholarship program. Jack really ran that program like a division one program. It was very organized and it was a different, just a higher level because obviously at Worcester state, Paul was part-time. So Paul was doing the same thing I was doing. He was teaching at St. John's and he was coming in after school. But the the difference with Jack and, and his full-time assistant is obviously they were there all day and they had their practices done out. The scouting reports were done out and they just had so much more time to invest in it. So then I go to year. So now I go through the same dance at the end of that year and I go back for the division one thing, rejected again, nothing on the division one GA deal. And, um, but I get, the, the Worcester State job opens up. Paul Baker resigns. Now it's still a $3,500 job, right? So I'm still single. So they somebody says, like, you should apply, you know, even though you're only 24, like apply for the head job. So I'm thinking, wow, that would be awesome. I apply. Uh, they interview three people, right? Uh, they offer it to another guy. The guy's married. He's got a couple of kids. He's got a full-time job. He goes, let me think about it for a couple of days. He turns it down. So now it's me and another guy. They offer it to the other guy. Right? So, um, so I'm obviously three of three when it came to the interview. He goes, give me a couple of days. Let me think about it. He thinks about it. He's like, he, they both must have talked to their wives. They've been like, no. So they like, they turn it down. So they got to give it to me. Right. So now because I didn't have a wife, I get to, like, now I can say yes. So I think I'm at Duke. I'm 24. I was the state. And it was awesome. I mean, I just like threw my whole self into it, but I still was teaching. So I could only get at it from eight to two, but you talk about learning from your mistakes, like just like, yeah, to put a practice together, put a fall conditioning program together, put a recruiting calendar together, put a, all the scouting reports, everything. But I loved it, you know, and you talk about it, Kevin, earlier, like the other thing about these jobs where you're super grimy, where you're making no money and it's a ton of hours and it's just like, that's when you really know, like, do I want to do this? You know, yep. like. It, that's like the field that you're in, you know, the, the field you're in, like I can relate all too well. Exactly. Right. You, you are tested like all the time. You're constantly checking your heart to see like, is this really what I want to do? And like, I never, like, as I was going through that, I never like veered. It, it, there was nothing ever called me in another direction. So I just kept going and we were lucky. We, after the, we, uh, after we had a good year, our second year, we won 16 games. They only played like 25, 26 games at that level. At that time, we were 16 and 10. And then, my fourth year, we made the ECACs. I think we were like 19 and eight. And then my fifth year, we finally made the NCAA tournament, Division Three. It was the first time in like 20 years that Worcester State had made it. And it was great. So now I'm like seven years in that at that level. And I'm just like, I'm dying to get a Division One thing. I felt like I had done my part at Worcester State. I gave them five good years and uh, had an opportunity at Holy Cross with Coach Blaney. It didn't work out. And then I get to, to UConn and I, it's the same type of deal. 
it's it's the summer and the restricted earnings job is open and it's uh carl hobbs who was at bu knew me through the camps carl recommended me to coach calhoun and uh coach took it down to me and another guy and it was a former player of his from northeastern and he i ended up not getting the job and he said to me he called me and he said you're 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 more ready for this after the seven years at division three and division two he just came off playing but I'm loyal to my former players. I'm going to give him the opportunity. So I said, coach, I appreciate it, you know, whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm bummed out, but I'm thinking, all right, I'm going back to Worcester State for my sixth year. And on a chance meeting, I saw Coach Calhoun at a recruiting thing at Northeastern one night with Carl Hobbs. And the three of us sat together watching these games. And I was recruiting for Worcester State. Obviously, him and Carl were recruiting for UConn. And we just hit it off. It was like the third week of September. It was a Friday night. I was there late. And it was like 10 o'clock game or something. And like I said, him and Carl came into the Northeastern unplanned. You know, it was nothing. And we, we just talked for like an hour while we watched the game. And uh, I get a call from Carl like a week later. And he's like, do you think you could leave Worcester State and take this job? Like even in the fourth week of September. And I was like, shit, I'll, I'll like, I'll rock. I'll, rock to I'll leave now. Yeah, from Worcester State. Like, I, I, we have it. My assistant had been there with me for a while. He could take over. And uh, he he was just like, the guy here who he picked in August just isn't – it's a little bit too much for him. Like, he's over his head. And Coach feels like we can maybe make a change. And he was impressed with you that night. So I ended up doing it. And uh, the middle of middle of October 94, I got over to UConn as, like, what was called the restricted earnings position there. And um, – Back then, it was like three assistant coaches, two could go on the road. The third was called restricted earnings, and we couldn't go on the road and um, stayed there for thirteen years. So that's awesome. And yeah. and it's not like that was it's not like that was uh, just any program. Like that was that was the year right after the Sweet Sixteen run, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was yeah. a big time. Exactly. Big time they had yeah. They had already like Kev. I tell everybody all the time. They were like. I don't take any credit for like building the thing or being a part, even, even having a small hand and being a part of it because coach got there in 86. They weren't very, it was a nine team league. Right. And I think his first year was either 85, 86 or 86, 87. I'm not sure, but it was a nine team league. UConn's coming in eighth or ninth, like almost every year. And in 85, three of the teams from the big East made the final four, like St. John's Georgetown and Villanova. So three of the nine, three of your eight competitors are coming off an 85 final four and you're in last place. So he took it from there to 88. They won the NIT championship. And by the time they got to 90, they made the final eight. They lost to Duke um, in the final eight. But I, I would say from from 90 to like when coach left in 2012, I mean, the thing was operating on such a high level. So by the time I got there in 94, it was like, Ray Allen was a sophomore. Daron Sheffer was a sophomore. Donnie Marshall and Kevin Ollie were seniors. I mean, Travis Knight was a junior. It was like it was taken off. Man, yeah, and and you're starting to drop some of the the, the player names that I was going to ask you about. So obviously, at your time there during that first stint, you know, you were around, um, you know, no shortage of amazing players from the ones you named to obviously Coach Burrell. You got Grom Butler. You know, Ray. You mentioned you got Ben Gordon, Rudy Gay. All these guys. What would you say, like, and I'm sure all the all of them were different in their own ways, but what were some of the characteristics that made those guys so successful, not just at the college level, but as they went on to their pro careers? Like, what did you notice that they did during college that you were like, yeah, this guy or that guy, he's got he's got what it takes. Yeah, that's that's a great question. It's hard to put all of them under like one trait umbrella. Like you said, you know, because they are sort of all different. The, the thing that's fascinating really about them is their paths are so different. It, it was fascinating to watch them all come in. You have these notions of each and every one of them, what their strengths and weaknesses could be, probably what their ceiling could be. We had a feeling on some of them that they could get to where they got to. Some of them we didn't as much, but it was it was great to watch their journeys, you know. And um, we have this wall up at UConn now. Where we have uh, big flags of all the lottery picks. And there's like uh, 14 of them, maybe or something like that, that have been in the lottery, not just first round picks or second round picks, but just these huge big flags on our wall of all these lottery picks. And 
I, I say to our guys now, like I, I was a part of, I saw the journeys of like nine of those guys or something, you know, from That's like, awesome. it starts with Danielle and it goes right then to Ray and they're in chronological order all the way up to James Booknight, who we just had now. And we're hopeful we'll have room for Jordan Hawkins. Like Jordan may sneak into the lottery this year. And it's like, I say to those guys, like their paths are all different. They all had their bumps in the road. And for really, for none of them, it, it was not easy really for any of them. Like I saw each one of them have their moments where it was like, um, it, it, and I wasn't around for Andre Drummond. So like Andre might be the only guy that maybe came in as the third, fourth or fifth pick in the draft and then stayed a year and left as the, whatever he mm -hmm. went, the eighth or something like that. But those other guys, like I saw them have to work and grind and like grow up and um, take their lumps and, they were, I, I'd say the one characteristic of them all though, Kevin, was they were toughness. It was like, I think the thing that obviously tremendously gifted athletically, tremendously talented, tremendously skilled, but I think the mental toughness piece is, is, is the thing that clearly sort of delineates how high they're going to go when they leave you, you know, like how mentally tough are they? How much can they like withstand and, and still continue to grow and compete and be relied upon, you know, be consistent, mm. you know, like, and, and, um, you know, and like Karan Butler, like I knew Karan would be, it would be a really good NBA player would have a, would have a terrific career. They didn't have a hall of fame career, but he had a really terrific career. He goes into the NBA humble, right? Like in this story, we'll tell you, he goes, he gets drafted by Miami. Uh, he goes down for the press conference the next day. And Karan always battled his weight. Like when he he was like, when he was at MCI, he was like, he got up to 255, 260. And he was like a fat boy, scorer, six, seven, tough guy. And um, we battled and battled and he, he got better with his diet and we got him to probably 235, you know, and they wanted him in the NBA to play. Maybe Miami wanted him 220. So he goes and he's probably 232 or something like that. He gets drafted. Pat Riley is the coach back then and the general manager. But Karan is humble. He doesn't go into the NBA like he has all the answers. He goes in like, this is the NBA, man. This is Pat Riley. Like, I'm I'm running through a wall. You know, like, that's the attitude he takes going down there. So the next day, Riley says to him at the press conference, get on the scale. So he jumps, and he's just like, he's odd to be in Riley's presence, right? He jumps on the scale, he's like 232 or whatever. Riley says, when you get back here for training camp, if you're not at 220, I'm going to find you like every day that you're not at 220. And Karan's like, okay, coach, you know? And sure enough, he reports the training camp like 216, you know? And just there, it goes to show you like, just tell me once, I'm not going to like, tweet about it. I'm not going to like, you know, IG about it. I'm not going to tell you what my workouts, but like, I am, I will be back here. Whether I'm going to cut off a finger or an arm, or something, I will not be higher than 220, you know, cause you're Pat Riley and this is what you told me to do. And so he came in like the, the guys who leave UConn and they head to that. It, it's, it's a business, an industry. It's, it's cutthroat. It's, it's it's like you know it's it's a bottom line business as long as you're producing sure. love you you know the whole thing you have to bring value you have to understand how you can bring value when you go into that whole quagmire with that attitude as you watch them go you're like yeah he'll he has a chance to be you know the mental toughness the intelligence to like figure the thing out and keep going through maybe a bad agent maybe a bad uh injury maybe a bad situation but just like hey all right i got traded i'm going to move to another spot i'm going to make the best of this i'm going to and then i'm going to take my my all my experiences and grow from them and learn from them and and apply them in the right way yeah that's phenomenal that's a great story too because it's funny till this day you know miami's just kind of known for their discipline for yeah. Um, you know, for, for that type of stuff. And and you hear about some players that, that handle that well, and some players that yeah. don't. So that's a, yeah. that's a great story. So let's, let's transition from the first UConn uh, experience to the Quinnipiac days. So um, just talking about like a coach's, a coach's career. Um, when, when did you really get that itch or know that you were ready uh, to be a head coach? And then what was that? Like, what was that interview process like? Like, you know, obviously you had head coaching experience in your history, Um you know, what, what was that transition like from UConn to Quinnipiac? Well, I'll tell you, it was exciting. It was super exciting, Kevin. Like the most exciting, 
part of my professional career were those years leading up to that and taking that job and then doing that. It's, I don't know. I don't want to speak for everyone. Um, but I now have at the division one level, I guess I have six, 19 years as an assistant and 10 years as a head coach. And I, it, the, the 10 years as a head coach are like, the, the, it's the greatest, you know, it's the greatest, the highs and incredibly high. The lows are incredibly low. I can and, imagine. Yeah. And, um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. The opportunity is just like guys fight and scratch and claw just for the opportunity. So I'm grateful. But as I, it, it, a light came on, like I get there in 94, 95, and I'm, I'm the third assistant. And Howie Dickman's the first assistant, Carl Hobbs the second assistant. And you know, there's a pecking order, but I'm just like, I can't screw up. You know, when you get there, I'm the same way. I'm like this, this thing that I'm in awe that I'm working with Coach Calhoun every day. So I, I'm operating out of this fear that like, Again, who am I to even be here, right? I did seven years of Division Three, Division Two, but like I didn't play in high school. I didn't. Play, yep. I, mean, I played in high school, but it wasn't like a star. I didn't play in college, like you know. So I just don't want to screw up. So I just like I'm killing it as much as I can. And I realized, like, as I got to like, so it goes ninety four, and I this movement, how we left, but we brought Dave Lado back to, uh, from Northeastern to be in that. So I didn't get moved up. It wasn't like ninety four and then ninety six. I moved up. I had to wait till like two thousand, I think two thousand one. I did six years of that, like the, in that role where I couldn't recruit. I was in every meeting. I did every scout. That's the way coach had it set up, but I, uh, I couldn't recruit. So I don't feel like I'm advancing really, but I know like if I play my cards, right, you know, maybe he'll give me this opportunity. So he finally does in 2000. Now I'm like, now I'm starting to see it. Like I could be a division one head coach someday, like right around 2000. I was like, I was still a ways away. Carl had to get his job first, but like, I was like, if I still do a good job, I could see myself being moved up to the first assistant. And it, it broke that way. You know, Carl got his job. He moved me up. And then he made me associate head coach. And it was just like, then once you're there, you're like, all right, I'm going to have jobs. And because we were winning at such a high level, it was like, this is going to happen. It happened for Coach D. It happened for Dave. It happened for Carl. Like, I'm next in line. So, like, uh, that was extremely exciting. Just knowing that it was going to it was going to happen. So uh, right around 04, I started to get some interviews. I didn't feel I was ready. Uh, we had won the national championship. Then it goes 05, same thing. Um, and and uh, we when I got to 06, I was like, you know, I started to interview at a lot of places and I was starting to really get a feel for it. And nothing really in 06, and I thought that would have been the year, nothing that I, that I really liked came up in 06. And it was just like, I. but now it was known that like, I'm going to get something, you know, but I was probably overly picky in 06. Uh, I didn't quite feel it here. As we got to 06, 07, I was like, I'm taking something. Ready. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Like it was really, I felt really overdue. So uh, I had a couple opportunities in that 07 year. And uh, St. Bonaventure actually was one of them. I wasn't offered the job, but they, we did one interview and we were going to do another one. Um, and then Quinnipiac and then uh, Quinnipiac was, was, they had a, they had a, person leading the search firm and they were very very aggressive and just the more i it, initially i wasn't interested but the more i talked to them and the more i got around the place and saw how great it was and the new facility oh and, the brand new it, facility because that yeah. was that first year yeah and the commitment they wanted to make it was it was something that i felt like it just it just sort of spoke to me and it was it was awesome that's awesome and and yeah. one of the one topic that uh I want you to touch on is obviously, so you get the job, you, you decide to go there and now you have to, now you get to build a staff, right? So for, for an educational topic, for all the assistant coaches out there, like obviously a lot of my close friends, whether it's former teammates or not call me all the time, like, Hey, you know, you want to represent me? How do I get a head coaching job? And it's like, look, I, honestly, my, my best feedback sometimes outside of like, you know, introducing them to people is at the end of the day, I can introduce them to anybody, but they need to have a relationship with the head coach most of the time, you know, at least yeah. to an extent. So yeah. how did you go about building your staff? Like, did you start going through the past, you know, 15, 20 years of, of your experience and the people that, you know, just kind of stuck out to you? Yes. Yeah. That was it basically. Yeah. I mean, my, my sort of default mechanism, Kevin, when I was picking a, a staff was I went with loyalty and I went with the known rather than take a risk and go with the unknown. Um, and I'm not saying I was right or wrong, but that's what my heart told me to do. So I had varying degrees of familiarity with Sean Doherty, Eric Eaton, and Scott Burrell. 
um, just through basketball experiences. Um, and, uh, and I, so I felt most comfortable with those guys, but I think I interviewed for those three spots. And then Luke Murray was also on that as an ops guy and that first staff too, as well. Um, and, uh, I had a familiarity with Luke too, as well. Um, he was a manager at UConn, his first semester freshman year. And I knew him through a through a mutual AAU friend, uh, pretty well. So it was like, I think I interviewed for those four spots. I probably interviewed fifteen people. But I bet if looking back, I don't have it in front of me. A common theme was like a working knowledge of them right. and a familiarity with them. I, I just like whenever it was somebody totally out of left field that I had no familiarity with, I would always give it some consideration, think about it, and. And just ultimately, I didn't feel comfortable with that. Some guys have no problem with that. Some head coaches yeah. have no problem. And I've seen it work out and not work out, you know, so. Got it. Now, yeah. now transition to a, to a coaching question. Um, wh one of the things that that I love about reading about Coach Wooden, and he, he was famous for bringing his guys together at the beginning of every year and telling them, look, like, you're all going to be coached differently. And, and some coaches do that and some coaches don't. So for you, did you do you find it effective to coach all players the same or individualized to a, to a certain extent? And like, how did you go about that? At least at the Quinnipiac as a head coach, all differently. Yeah, in my opinion. And Jimmy Johnson said that once, uh, Kevin. He told a funny story about it. They asked him that exact question. Like Jim, when Jimmy Johnson was the head coach of the Cowboys, they said, "You got fifty three guys. Do you coach them all the same or differently?" And he says, "I coach them all fifty three different ways." And his he he sort of a he. he gave the example about discipline. He said, like, if we sit in training camp and we turn off the lights and we're about ready to start watching film and there's a rookie free agent special teams guy in the front row who falls asleep during the film, he goes, I'll flip on the lights and scream at him and cut him on the spot, kick him out of the room and I'll make an example out of him. Right. He goes, if it's Troy Aikman and he's in the back, I'll probably tiptoe to the back and whisper in his ear, like, Troy, wake up, <laughs> you know? And, and, but his point was like, you have to handle all of them differently based on sort of their status. I, I saw coach Calhoun do that masterfully, just masterfully in the time I was with him, he had like one to 13 and his relationship was always the best with one second best with two third best with three and so on down the line. Not that he neglected the, the, the last couple guys, but he invested most of his energies and the guys that were going to be, you know, like, all right, Madison Square Garden, Big East Tournament Championship, a minute and a half left in the game, 63-62 with Syracuse. Like, what five faces am I looking at? Yep. And more importantly, let's narrow it down even more. What two am I going to give the ball to? And, I, I like, it's more important at that moment, the biggest moment in the program's, not history, but that year, that I'm I'm on the same page with those two guys more so than the eleventh guy and the ninth yep. guy, so that's what it was. That's I tried to do rightfully that. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, now you know why I never fell asleep during film sessions. I was <laughs> if I was sitting in the front by my senior year, I was wide awake. I was ready to roll. I'm like, I'm not getting I'm not getting made an example of here. Kev, maybe freshman year I might have done that. By senior year, you were like you were the mayor of Quinnipiac by senior year. You were like the so, man. Something I, similar I, to that. If, yeah. Yeah. You were like the man. If I'd ever cut you senior year, like people would have, people would have revolted. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Yep. So I have one of my favorite stories. Do you recognize? Oh, let's see if we can get this in the camera. Do you recognize this? I I do not. No. So, so for those who are listening to audio and don't see video yet, I'm holding up a toy. I forget the name. It's, it's the lion from Madagascar. Yeah. So I believe it was my freshman year. I think it was freshman year. I'll have to go back. We had we had a string of practices and it was just it, we were just awful, right? We had just no energy. And I'll never forget this. And it was one practice in particular where I think you just had enough. You were just like, you know, how do I get to these guys? And you, you ended up calling practice early. We were stretching like out in the center floor and you were like, you call Papali over, Mike Papali. You were like, Mike, I, th I think it was a winter break because we needed to get a meal. And you were like, Look, I think Steve and I think JB played hard. Get them a nice meal. Get them steaks. Everyone else, go to McDonald's, get them a happy meal, and make sure there's a toy in the bag because everybody played like children. And so I kept that. I didn't know if I knew I was gonna I was gonna do it for a podcast 15 years later, but I thought that that was. But the point is, like, 
it, it got across. I mean, we practiced yeah. hard the next day. Yeah. Like I yeah. just, I, I love that story. I wanted to yeah. share it. Yeah. That I remember that fondly now. I do remember that fondly. And that was, it's funny, Kev, like sometimes the best thing as a coach that you come up with is like off the top of your head and other times, other times you get these ideas and you're like, you think it's going to impact or you think it's going to work and you try to like script something and it doesn't work. That was totally, I was winging it during that point. You know, I just sort of like started to come to me and yeah, didn't we get like, we got like a nice steak from some place for, it was Steve and JB with the two Steve yep, Robinson yep. and Jeremy. I'll yeah. never forget it. Me, yeah. me and Sean, like just look at each other, like, are we, is this, is this, are we, is this real? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like four piece chicken nugget. Like, all right. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. So let's, uh, as much as I want to bask on all the glory days at Quinnipiac, let's talk about that next transition. I think another, another great topic would be, and, and people don't really hear about it often, but when, when coaches get fired, right, you never really hear that perspective, right? So um, when you were on your transition to the next job, talk about that transition and like what your mindset was to go a different direction. Were you hoping to be a, a head coach? Were you, were you hoping to take a year off? You know, what, what, what was going through your mind during that, during that transition? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's hard. It's like, it's, it's devastating on so many levels. Um, and, uh, it, there are some really dark days and, um, you get advice from everyone too, you know, people you trust and people whose opinion matters. And I reached out to people very close to me who, who were confidants and peers and people who I respect. And you get a wide range of, of advice on how to handle it. And, uh, you know, I, I, my, my instinct was not to take a year off because I just was afraid that if I, I, I needed a year off, to be honest with you, you right. know, like physically, emotionally, uh, it's almost like I, I wish anybody who was fired could do that for their own like sanity and their own well being. Um, but the carousel just keeps moving, you know, and, uh, I just didn't feel like I had enough status to take a year off and, um, and get to a level that I would be happy at. So I just stayed with it and reached out to people who I respect and got some really interesting opportunities. And I was happy really actually with the opportunities I got. I, I didn't get a head coaching opportunity right away, but I, there was some really cool assistant coaching opportunities and out of the box things too, that were presented that I really liked, but the uh, opportunity with Dan was like super, uh, attractive to me the whole time because of my respect level for him. Um, I, I, I've always felt going back to when I was an assistant at UConn the first time, and he was the prep school coach at St. Benedict's that he's just a brilliant coach. And, uh, you'd see his work at St. Benedict's, you know, obviously you saw his dad's work and you like, and I knew how competitive, uh, Dan was as a player and as a person. And then when he, when he starts funneling it to coaching, and he's got his dad's pedigree and I'm at the St. Benedict's practices and I'm like, this is better than this is better than what a, a lot of what's going on in college. Right. You just see it, you know? So I, I cheered him, you know, we were, we, we became really friendly at St. Benedict's. We had a great relationship. I recruited all those guys and I didn't get any of them to be honest with you, but like I was down there a ton. I was either at his dad's gym or Kevin Boyle's gym at St. Pat's or I was at his gym uh, we became really close and he became a really good friend. And then he gets the Wagner job while I'm at Quinnipiac. We had to be yep. sort of like rivals for two years. And then he, he, he parlays that into the Rhode Island job. I could go back to sort of cheering for him, you know, cause he's out of the league and he's at Rhode Island. So he's, he's on year six. He has a great year five and they go to the NCAA tournament and they're almost in the sweet 16. They had that Oregon team beat with Hassan Martin and Karan Iverson. Mm -hmm. and and uh, he's got a great team coming back with E.C. Matthews, Jared, Jared Terrell, Jeff Doughton, Cyril Langevin, all those guys. And he um, he has an opening. It looks like something's going to happen there, you know. And and I was just like, I just kept going back to that one. You know, I, I was just like, I had other opportunities. I'm interviewing other places. I'm talking to other places. But I was just like, this is the one I got to try to get because of my respect level for him. And um, it worked out. And it was just like that year was great. Uh, 16, 17, no, 17, 18 was great because that, that thing was a machine by then. Like URI basketball on the sixth year with him, the culture was so great. 
and the talent level was so great. Like we had one of those years, almost like this year, to be honest with you, but at UConn, it was like, I think we lost to at Alabama, like December 2nd. And then we didn't lose again till like January 20th or something, you know, like college seasons, eight weeks or seven weeks without losing, you know? So yeah. it was like one of those years where it was just like everything was like, it was on, was on high level there. And that was a fun year. And then he gets the, you know, he gets the UConn job and it's like, I get to go back home with him. And, and uh, that was, that was awesome. It was awesome. It was really different. The place is different. So many levels, so many ways, but it was uh, a, just a great opportunity. And um, it's been fun. You know, I mean, to, to be here five years and to win a national championship in the fifth year, the, the neat thing, Kev is like, like Kamani's been with us since day one. Um, Paul Wedeman and our ops guy has been with us since day one. Um, Eric Yukovsky was with us the first four years. Like those guys, like Kenya Hunter was with us for the first couple of years and Kevin Freeman was with us for a year. Now Luke's with us. Like you can see, you could see the thing, like it, it's been built the right way and the improvement arc has been there. And um, so to have it happen this year was you know, it's always surprising when you win a national championship, but it's in a way it's not surprising because of like the arc of improvement. Um, you could see it and he did it the like he did it the right way. Like he did it. Um, he didn't go in and drop, just like drop a bomb on the place and get rid of every player that was there, even though they were, they were, they were beat down. Like the kids we inherited in that spring of 18 were really beat down like that, that first group. But in terms of just the just feeling good about themselves as players and stuff, they had been identified with losing and identified with getting a coach fired and like underachieving. And the UConn standard is so high, and it was yeah. like here they they were wearing that, you know. And instead of just saying like these kids are all losers, like I'm getting rid of them, Dan was like, I'm just going to coach these guys up. Like I'm going to love them and try to get them better and see who responds to it. And we had a great core from that first group, like Josh Carlin was a soldier he he responded to it isaiah whaley responded to it tyler Polly responded to it um you know uh uh christian vital responded to it like altery gilbert responded like there were guys there that like they wanted that they needed it they went after it and they were they were the guys whose sort of sweat and blood like started what we uh, were able to accomplish this spring that's awesome yeah i'm sure it was i'm sure it was amazing an amazing feeling to come back home to you know obviously you know, to where you had two national championships. So, so when you, when you, in year one there, like when you sat down with coach Hurley, like obviously you had experience there of winning national championships. So was that the goal from day one? Like what, when you sat down, what, what, what was the mindset and the steps that you were, I mean, I think obviously I know you and, 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 you know, of course I don't know coach Hurley uh, as well, but you know, knowing your mindsets, you're like, yeah, you're not going to be like, yeah, let's just go win a couple games. Maybe it, no, no, you're going for national championship. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What was that? What was that goal setting? Like, no, D Dan was like that. Like he said it at his initial press conference. I love the way he said it too. He's like, he goes, I know what it is here. Like, you know, I know what it is here. I know what I'm getting myself into. Like, and again, I mentioned on our practice facility, we have the lottery picks on, on one side of the wall. And then we had the, at the time, the four national championship banners on the other side of the wall. And that's where he had his press conference. So he's looking at national championships over his right shoulder and all these lottery picks behind them. And he's like, you don't have to go far to understand what this place is about. So that's the standard. You know, we have to get to that standard and get back to that standard. So, and I'll tell you, Kev, like, we get there typical Dan fashion. Like he gets a job, he has a press conference and we go in there and he's like, we're going to end on the court with these guys. Like right away, like, let's go. And uh, we start working out with these guys. It's just me and him. We hadn't even hired Kamani yet or Kenya yet. And uh, it's like, we just left a, a Rhode Island team that lost to Duke in the second round of the NCAs. And we're looking at these guys and I'm like, our Rhode Island team would is like, much better than the team we just left like 10 days ago you know is like was was at such a higher level than where the team was at the time that we inherited so it was a lot of uh like tlc you know like a lot of love mm -hmm. a lot of caring a lot of like bonding a lot of relationship building you know it was that he does it like he he coaches he, 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 the way he knows is his dad's way at St. Anthony's, you know, like you pour into your kids. And he, so he runs it like his dad ran St. Anthony's. He's there. Like he believes like the answers are in the gym. The answers are in your sweat that you put into it. And, and as a coach, 
he's like, he's there every day. Like he's there with them every day. He, the summer workouts, you know, like he's on the court with them all summer, every workout. He'll miss a workout. He doesn't like, I'm going recruiting. The assistants will take this one. No, he's like, he's there at every single one. So like, he looks at it, like it's, you, you build them up, you pour into them as much as you can. And, and the relationship gets stronger and they'll play harder for you. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll represent the uniform more and they'll be more committed and more loyal. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was neat. I mean, it happened that way. It happened like, you know, day to day, it didn't happen with like a master plan. It happened just right. like, it sounds corny, but it was like <clears throat> that day, you know, we don't say it that way. It just was like old fashioned way. Right. Yeah. You, you mentioned relationship several times and, and I know we, we mentioned it a couple of times early in the podcast and it's so, so important now because not only is it important that your guys buy in, obviously your recruits, but like now you need to, now you need to keep those relationships uh, present. Otherwise kids will transfer. Right? Yeah. So it's not just like recruiting kids, it's recruiting and keeping kids. And I think, you know, I mean, in, in my mindset, if I'm a player and and I see that and, you know, coaches present all the time and obviously all coaches, but head coach too. I mean, that, that, yeah. that definitely builds a relationship with me more. Um, yeah. So sp- speaking of recruiting, can you touch on just a couple of, a couple of criteria that in order for a player to be recruited or on the radar for UConn right now, like what, what are some of the things that you look for? Maybe you can talk about skill versus academics versus character versus background, like, you know, when you step into a gym and you're looking at guys, like what stands out to you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say like to play for Dan, like you need, you need a certain level of toughness, you know? And, and I mean, we're all looking for really good players, right? Like really skilled players, like preferably really good offensive players. You know, you got to be like pretty elite defensively to stand out that way and just sort of get yourself recruited to our level just on your defense. But like, um, so I would say like super skilled offensive players and, and tough, tough minded kids. Um, Dan has, has got an incredible eye for talent and what he wants by position. And he's also very good at like figuring out what kids will fit with what we have currently and what we're supposed to have in the future. So like, he's really good at molding a recruiting class and he's good at knowing, all right, hypothetically, we're going to have you know, like, let's say we'll, we'll probably have Donovan Klingon only for two years, you know, like initially we might've thought we'd have him for three, but he's thinking of last year, he's thinking of this year's class as like one year understudy to Donovan. And then he's got to be ready as a sophomore because Donovan's not going to be here as a junior, you know, like, so he's very good at projecting rosters. He's very good at like knowing what he wants at positions. And, um, and I'd say like really good offensive players that can shoot score and and a level of toughness and the other thing too kev is it's like this sounds i don't know it's going to sound probably trite or or you know whatever it's it's he also wants like it's not even good kids he wants stable situations you know he he wants it to be stable like not not seven different handlers and Mm -hmm. people with different opinions and people tugging the situation nine different ways if there's a mother and a father that he can talk to and a kid that he can talk to on the phone and he likes the, that he can have a conversation, then it, it really goes from there, you know? So we try to go for stable situations. And I think it had a lot to do with the chemistry we had this year on this year's team. Mm, that That's interesting. A couple of points there for, for recruiting like good offensive players. I mean, I was talking about, this was more NBA geared, but you know, people were talking about all the time. They like to rip on and say, you know, NBA doesn't play any defense, which partially is true, but I think on all levels, kids and, and athletes are just getting so much better at scoring the ball and shooting the ball from, from three and beyond. They're just so much better offensively that it's hard to play defense. Like defense isn't isn't advancing as much as offense is. So that's yeah. interesting. So if you're if you're listening, make sure you're working on your three and your offensive skills. But uh yeah, the toughness is a no-brainer. Um and and speaking of um not so much stable, but like being pulled in different directions, obviously one of the elephants in the room for recruiting is NIL, right? So yeah. How has how has UConn and every school is kind of adjusting as as this thing becomes even more crazier? But when that conversation comes up for UConn, like what's what's the response or like what's the what are you hoping for from that kid when you have that conversation? Well, that's another one where we say like we want a stable situation, 
The other thing Dan does not want is is he he does not want to deal with kids or parents where that's like the first that that's the first thing. Red flag for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he says it like we'll fight and scratch and claw to make sure you have a like what we think is is as good a situation as we can help to provide for you but if that's we want someone who wants to be here for basketball reasons academic reasons and sees the value in playing for dan hurley this staff in yukon you know so that's sort of like our our overriding theme and you know if we do get as we're in the course of recruiting them if the nil piece keeps coming up or it's coming up more prominently or it's coming up then you know there'll probably be a time where we'll pivot from that situation and we won't go there and the rules are really strict as far as like not not having the ability to promise people anything a certain dollar figure so you know you got to be really careful when they're on your campus for an official visit like how you present the opportunities and how you present you know what what you know what what could potentially be there and you know, I think the kids are going to get it word of mouth through other guys on the team, basically, you know, and what you're seeing, you're hearing a lot of stories about. And that's why I think you're seeing a couple of kids like weirdly transfer is I think some kids were promised certain amounts yep. and not delivered. So they're, they're, they're starting to, uh, you know, uh, to leave situations like that where they feel the trust was violated. So, um, yeah. And, to, and yeah, and you mentioned, you know, how, how you present it and how, how teams present it. It's interesting to kind of be in the middle and, you know, hearing from different coaches. But I, I tell players all the time, and if you're listening, I mean, that was that was great advice. But it's also important how players present that to coaches. It's like, OK, we we know you want to have that opportunity, obviously. But, you know, coming in and saying, well, you know, that school is offering me X. Like, what can you provide me is a very different way to communicate like, hey, you know, my, my family might be struggling or I need this for X, Y, or Z, which is a very valid reason, yeah. you know, like, you know, what, how can you support me? It's just the way you communicate that as a player, it can be a difference in having an, a scholarship offer or not, in my yeah. opinion. And it sounds yeah. like that's kind of what you guys are, are going for. Well, man, this is, this has been great. I know we've jumped all over the map here. As we wrap up, I, you already gave a lot of advice in the beginning with your coaching stories, but anyone that's trying to break into college coaching now at any level, any, any last piece of advice for them? Jeez, I mean, I'll, I'll allude to some of the things we talked about earlier, Kev, like follow your heart, you know, like I'm huge into that. I think you and I have had a And with a rare edit on the podcast, I'm just jumping in here real quick. At that exact moment, Coach Moore's laptop died, so he couldn't quite get that last thought out. Uh, but I've had this conversation with him many times, so without speaking for him, I can say that he really emphasizes following your heart and your gut and We've discussed that many times with my career, and um, and I've heard him discuss that with many young coaches going through their journey as well. And what he alluded to at the end there was the beginning of his journey and what he said earlier in the episode, and that is just being willing to battle through those years that are tough, right? He made $850 as an assistant in one of those first years annually, right? It's always those those difficult parts of the journey that you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself if you're willing to battle through that to ultimately get to where you want to be. And obviously with all the, um, the, the changes in, in college coaching, um, you know, that's something that you're going to encounter very often. So uh, obviously great episode. Luckily his laptop didn't die until the very last question. I know you're also used to the lightning round with some guests, uh, but maybe we'll have to add that in here sometime soon. So hope you're able to take something away from this. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for listening, my friends. If you enjoyed the episode or if it brought you any value at all, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you share it on social media, make sure you tag me at Kevin Tarka. If there are any topics that you want me to dive into or any guests you'd love for me to have on the show, just shoot me a message and I will do my best to make it happen. Have an amazing day and hope to see you back here soon.